when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It is July 10th, 2017, 7102017, which backwards is 7102017. Oh the date is the same. Yes. The date is the same. Palindrome Waypoint date. Radio is here to tell you the date is a palindrome, palindrome today. Welcome to Palindrome Day. If you were in North America, presumably, I guess Europe does it the other way. They In Europe today <laughs> is is like 107. 2017, which is yeah, not a palindrome. That's nowhere near as fun. No. What if really? they reversed the, da- the the year also, and then the year was... Oh, if they put the year first? Yeah, they did. I don't know. Maybe that would be a whole different thing. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it is episode 78 of Waypoint Radio. Joining me today, Danielle Riendo, here Hi. in Lobby 1 in Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, Brooklyn. Also calling in from Boston... Robert Zachney. Hey, everybody. Hey, Rob, can you actually like pay attention or are you just neck deep in the subterfuge game today? You can't actually. How <laughs> can't often are you going to check your phone? So I might have to tune out uh, from time to time because right now my phone is blinking and it says I have 17 messages, wow. um, which could be a lot of things, uh, probably none of them good. Uh, right now, our friend Nick Capazzoli oh. is... Uh-huh. Um, Waypoint uh, freelancer. Is, yeah, good good guy, but apparently just a loathsome subterfuge player. Yeah, I would never oh, play that game with him. We'll talk about subterfuge a little yeah. later in the show. We'll wrap back around to what that is. It's it's a wild ride. I'll never play it again. Patrick Klepek, also joining us from, from Chicago. How you doing, Patrick? I feel like we should put, like, a, if I should if I could somehow take my Nest camera that is on my daughter right now, yes. who's home from daycare because she has a fever from teething and oh. daycare can't give kids medicine, so I had to bring this kid home. That's a legal thing? And now she's sleeping. It's, yeah, it's like a legal thing. That makes like, sense. Even though it's just Tylenol, they're not authorized to give random kids uh, medication, which makes sense. Yeah, that's, you know, yeah, that yeah. Makes, but it you also can draw a line like, somewhere in there. <laughs> it no also baths, means no like medicine. she's totally fine, and I shouldn't have had to interrupt my work day to go get her. But that's just the policy. So if I had like my nest came in the corner, that's like when this thing stirs, then Patrick has to leave the podcast. But who knows when that'll happen? That's Sometimes who knows. Can we get three hours. actually? Can we get that nest camera pointed at Rob's phone so that we know <laughs> yeah, when his actually, underwater submarine bases are being invaded? That'd be cool. Is she playing the game? This is like the highest level. Be oh, a baby. Shit. All right. Be a baby. Number one. Be, step one. Be a baby. Have teething. That's most of the internet. Well, your fake thing is like when I've played subterfuge with people, yeah. they might fake teething. Like, oh, I got to go home from daycare today, <laughs> I so I can sit. I got to look at my phone all day, That's so I can sneak is. attack Austin. Fucking son. That's what she's doing. Subterfuge is most of being a baby. Like, yeah, just, oh, in general, yeah. this is yeah. like <laughs> making allegiances and breaking them, and just seeing how far <laughs> well, you can yeah. push your borders. And, and, they're, and they're trying to mess up their own lives. It's not even just like they're playing a game in which they're trying to screw with you. It's like ah, I'm going to walk off this ledge because I don't understand how gravity <laughs> and elevation work. It's like, whoops, uh, like I've just fallen down six steps. That hasn't happened. I'm not saying my kid fell down six steps. I'm just saying you spend your life preventing them totally. from falling down six steps. 
God. Speaking of people who are trying to prevent people from falling down six oh. steps. <laughs> speaking of like having what sometimes feel feels like a paternal uh, instinct. Yeah. Yeah. There was a video going around this this weekend that made me feel just like a general like I wish I could I wish I could direct critic the, the discourse. I yeah. I feel like I wish I could help the discourse grow up. I feel like the discourse has been in a falling down some stairs and has been in a childish state forever. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, Donkey, who is a YouTube. This is like I was just gonna dive into this because this is like the Let's topic du jour. Actually, the topic du jour is we're all dying from global warming, that and too. also Donald Jesus Trump Jr. Christ. is we're all that's dying. the discourse today. But yeah. I'm gonna hang on to the last little bit of the wave of Donkey discourse. Dun- yes. <laughs> Which the is actually D-D. the DA. Yeah. I think you should Donkey should have a new side channel on YouTube. This is <laughs> Donkey called Donkey discourse. discourse. Get another two or three million <laughs> subscribers um, for people. Who don't know, uh, I guess Patrick or Danielle. Uh, Danielle, you, you know Donkey stuff. So, like, yeah. can you introduce for listeners who might not know who Donkey is? Sure. So, he has like sort of a comedic uh, YouTube channel. He plays a game and, you know, either does like a six to 20 to, I guess there are some longer yeah. uh, forms of it and, and sort of criticizes a game, but is also like very humorous about mm-hmm. it. He makes a lot of jokes. He does a lot of dunks. I think that's probably where it came from. I don't know that for a fact. This is me trying to figure all these things out as uh-huh. I go. Right. Um, he has said some very problematic things in the sure. past. Uh, but I generally really actually like his his channel. I think he actually says a lot of really, really smart things. His ukulele video was amazing. He sort of set out like, oh, I was trying to have fun with this. But, you know, what actual great game design in Banjo-Kazooie right. and Banjo-Tooie is not present here. They really sort of screwed up in certain ways. And and does it in like this really humorous and really sort of fast-cutting and like right. fun kind of way. Right. So like he gets the format of YouTube, yeah. understands like what yeah. appeals to that very audience. palatable. Right. Yeah. And then this weekend, he put out a video, it was on July 8th, called Game Critics. That's it, just Game Critics. That's what it was. And it's like a nine-minute long video that is a kind of a scattered shot uh, attempt to like give his his thoughts about the state of games reviews and games criticism in general. Um, I guess like the, the most generous way I can talk about it is to say uh, he, he thinks that game criticism is at its best when it informs a reader about a purchasing decision and about like the quality of a game uh, and that it when it's at its very highest, it's coming from uh, 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 someone who has a unified voice, a cohesive voice that reflects uh, a long uh, established context of of previous reviews, a sort of cohesive body of work that lets you know what their subjective understanding of their taste is. Like yeah. what – you know, here this is the type of person – like his example for himself is I don't like JRPGs. Therefore, you know that when I like a JRPG, I must really it's like it. Special. It's something special. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that he has issue with major – outlets, the, the IGNs, the GameSpots, the Polygons, who have a great deal of reviewers whose uh, subjective tastes do not align. They don't form a cohesive whole. Uh, they don't reflect like, hey, this reviewer is defending Sonic and th- these other five people are dunking on Sonic nonstop. Uh, and then also that uh, the scoring systems, uh, you know, everyone uses 7 to 10 and also like vague allegations of pay for play of just like, <laughs> oh, I think it's because you may not pay for play, but there's a cushy relationship. None of that happens on YouTube. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, right. <laughs> I mean, like, first, I mean, for me, like, one of my first thoughts was, like, dog, you're on, like, a multi channel network owned by Curse, which is owned by yep. Amazon. <laughs> They're owned by Twitch, which is owned by Amazon. So, like, let's, let, at the very beginning, <laughs> like, let's down. just, like, tone that the, that part of it down a little bit because, uh, not, there's not an accusation here, but, like, 
everybody's in the fucking pocket of some big business at this point. Like, making money if you're on making the money is a deeply yeah. complicated yes. and convoluted uh, set and of great levels compromised. of gray in which you have to sort of like settle on what can you accept while not wholly losing your soul in the process. Right, exactly. Like, like uh, it's one of those things where like I want to recognize that there are lots of incredible independent creators on YouTube, yes. but also a lot of them are part of networks that are owned by major media corporations like Disney and Amazon. So but like, if you're not a platform, on a Patreon, right? like, YouTube, absolutely. Like, yeah. YouTube, YouTube is a platform in the same way that IGN GameSpot are platforms for like a series of writers that uh, do their own individual work where, you know, not that the YouTube to IGN analogy like completely holds, but like you don't judge one video on YouTube as all of YouTube's opinion on totally. something. Like you, you, you end up drilling down in the same way that you drill down with a, a platform, like, right. like an IGN or a GameSpot. Like they, these days, like IGN and GameSpot are as personality-based as... Uh, as YouTube is, where like what you know, no one really cares these days what outlet I write for. I mean, they do in like a sense that like, oh, I'm excited that Patrick's going to work with Austin. You and definitely Danielle stopped and, and getting Robin. Hulk Hogan jokes sent at you when you. Tra- <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not. That's I'm not. I'm not firing shots about that. You know what side of that shit I was on. You know, like, but right. but like people care enough to to reframe their arguments around stuff and and stuff like they that. They do, but at the same time, like 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 these days, like if I was to go somewhere else, like they like. A certain audience follows, like the audience that cares about what what you have to say, they follow you to the next yeah. thing through right. social networks like Twitter and Facebook right. and other things like that. And so these like these centralized IGNs and GameSpots have like decentralized writers right. that are disconnected from the economic hub that allows them to like pay their rent and buy food right. and and publish for a living. Right. And like have a legal team to help prevent takedowns right. of videos and have, you know, uh, an HR department so that if there's a problem in the office, like like this is part of why you go to to work at a at a it's company a at, a, at a, is that, version exactly. Of what else there is are certain assurances yeah. that like hey, if the company is in the tank this month, you're still going to get your paycheck even if the ad rates on YouTube changed or whatever, right? right. Like there are there are, this is the, the trade-off that you make when you stop being independent and go to to work at a major company that can give you those assurances, those, those insurances in a sense. Yes. Um, and the thing that ended up being like – it ended up being – it's a video that I think caused a lot of response partially because it targets writers um, because writers have names and and at the same time almost insinuates that it, – it also – undermines the notion that writers are individuals. Like that's right. the thing that's so tricky about it, so frustrating for me about it because there's a bit where he puts 37 names on screen. They're like the 37 reviewers that IGN has used over the last year, many of which are freelancers, which means like right. those are not salaried individuals who have access to an HR department and who have health care through IGN. Those are people who are like hustling for a few hundred dollars here exactly. or there. Um, and, like, get put on blast for not being in line about what they said about Sonic with, like, what Arthur Geese <laughs> said about Sonic while he was briefly at IGN five years ago right. or whatever, right? And so, like, that part of it was really frustrating. Uh, and it felt like there was a disconnect between I don't like this thing that is true about the nature of game reviews in 2017. But, and he was making that case by insulting right, individual writers. And that was, like, ah, like that's the part that frustrated me yeah. so much. Yeah. Um, but I guess generally I'm curious what people thought about his overall position on the state of games reviews and like whether or not this is just the same argument I've heard for the last 20 years in this space like since when you know CGW got rid of review scores for a hot second when I was in right. high school or whatever remember that yeah I like <sighs> back when it was not right yeah. I was like, what? What is the tone uh, to this response here? Like, do people have grievances they want to air? Has this is just like another bump in the in the road? Well, I was going to say, like, to, to go back to an earlier point. Part of my issue with the video is its inability. Like, it paints 
game critics as an outside thing as opposed to something that a donkey is a part of. Um, like, yeah. I, I think, that, like, some of the extreme reaction, right. not I mean, extreme is the, the wrong word, but, like, some of the, the uh, and part of the reason some people would take issue with a video like this is because, you know, there's a growing sort of, like, videos becoming more important, and, like, some right. people are specialized in writing, and, like, there's a lot of <laughs> larger economic issues as that transition takes place, and some people's skills don't maybe transfer to video, and so this idea that, like, video is becoming the de facto sort of, like, criticism uh, or method of criticism, like, creates, like, a tension, and then there's a separation between, like, if you read coverage of folks that make, like, coverage on traditional gaming websites about people who make content on YouTube as their primary means of, of making money and expressing themselves, like, they're, like, often, the, like, I, I've used the term, but der- I derive the term YouTubers, because right. it sounds as though that, like, from my perch, I'm making them seem like second-class citizens yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in, in terms of, like, what they do when I actually think... Someone like Dunkey does lots of really legitimate, interesting criticism. Lots of other people. There are do lots that. of fantastic. Campster does incredible work. Yes. Like there's yeah. a bunch of people. Joseph Anderson. Who do, Joseph Anderson yeah. does really great work. Like Geek there are, Remix. There are Sorry. Yeah, Geek <laughs> Remix is great. There are a huge array of people who are making incredible videos on YouTube and other video platforms, or even people who do it on Twitch who do critical let's plays. Like that stuff is out there and exists and is fantastic and is. I think it is detrimental for us to. It's it's frustrating because when I see an argument like this, there is an, a part of me that wants to like close ranks. I'd yeah. be like, yo, fuck off. Like, yo, fucking catch me outside. <laughs> catch these hands. Like, I'm ready to go. Like, for real. Like, it is it is yeah, really frustrating to be like, I've seen people, like, work their asses off to become better writers, to push themselves, to, like, instantiate uh, systems so that they stop using cliched and, and trite, like, prose. Like, I've seen the work. <laughs> the work is being done. And that's on top of the notion that the entire argument that he builds starts at a premise that I think is flawed and that we're moving away from, which is that criticism exists to inform purchasing decisions, right? Like, I think there's actually been a move away from that, a move towards argument-driven uh, criticism, even at major sites like Kotaku and Polygon, yes. and away from needing to be comprehensive, back-of-box, what-is-this-game list. Like, we've moved away from it. And if you're just learning that shit and you're like, all right, fucking wake up, wake up catch up. <laughs> but then yeah. I take a deep breath because part of closing those ranks and like wanting to have those fights. And like, I'm like, I'm, I could go right now. Like, I could go. I believe but, you. Flip this table right, right now, seriously. Austin. Like, Boom. It, it gets me heated because I've seen the yeah. people put in the work. Like, that's the why I get heated on it yeah. is I've seen people push themselves to get better at this who traditionally came from outlets uh, that needed to reach an audience that was just trying to say, should I buy this or not? I've seen IGN do it. I've seen yeah. IGN transform their reviews. Over the last, like, four years, they've gotten really great reviewers who are able to say something meaningful about a game in not 4,000-word, four-page reviews. <laughs> um, and well, so... that IGN and GameSpot are, like, right. monolithic. Like, and I'm not, that's not to denigrate the, the good work that does happen there, right. but, like, it shows a shallowness of your understanding of criticisms uh, <laughs> right. writ large that there are lots of other critics doing lots of interesting things yes. that are not mentioned anywhere in Absolutely. that video. That's like Donkey has I think I saw uh, like 3.6 3.6 million, 6 million uh, subscribers, yes. He is a small fish in a much bigger pond. Like Donkey himself is specialized criticism yes. within the larger YouTube pond. And so if he is not an IGN or a GameSpot, no. right? Like PewDiePie is the IGN or GameSpot. If we're like thinking like the largest, like most yes. trafficked uh, sort of portals for for criticism, and so Dunkey gets away with what he's doing because he's chosen to do something specialized yes. and different. Um, and also, he ignores uh, a lot of like uh, systemic problems in YouTube totally. uh, video culture in order to make money. So, like, there's an excellent <laughs> uh, video over or an article over at Polygon by Slow Beef, um, who yes. is a really thoughtful, interesting. 
um, uh, YouTube creator who uh, is largely credited, although he doesn't like taking the credit, with coming up with the term Let's Play and right. sort of defining that. But certainly a, a foundational, yeah. important uh, uh, worker inside of the Let's Play field, at yeah, the very you do least. A, a, a Google search for it. I interviewed him and sort of tracked the creation of the Let's Play right. um, and, and wrote about that at Kotaku a couple of years back. And he wrote this editorial for Polygon in which he talks about like the fact that a lot of YouTube creators have to create videos multiple times a day or at least daily in order to keep up yes. with the algorithm that is determined by YouTube and how it feeds people information that, that they can sort of discover through YouTube's algorithm. Like problems like that, which inevitably feed to poor criticism on YouTube because people have to make money and feed themselves – just problems like that go unacknowledged in a video right. that cherry picks problems with the existing sort of uh, model of games criticism and games press and how that makes money and how that sustains people when there are all sorts of problems in YouTube. And I'm not, I'm not right. saying so, that, so the, that makes that doesn't exactly. make those problems in game criticism go away. I'm just saying don't pretend that there are, there isn't shit going on in your own house. Well, and that's the thing that the thing that ends up being the reason that I don't want to close ranks and be like, let's go like yeah. old school media versus new Invite YouTube him culture. Invite to this podcast it, to punch him in the face. <laughs> right, yes, I don't want exactly. to do that. Right, right. Is actually because I think lots of these problems are shared across yeah. both of these these uh, medium like uh, there are just as many bad uh, trite YouTube criticism yes. videos <laughs> as there are mediocre review like written reviews in games journalism right like it's not like there aren't crutches that everybody in this space uses like everybody in this space uses we've had that conversation we've talked about the words that I think are dead we talked about like how we to get better as a writer conversation we had a we really visceral <laughs> conversation about it yeah. God, I saw visceral used again in just like oh. the, I forget what the word like it was it was exactly <laughs> one of those terms that it was exactly the way that makes me bummed visceral out to combat. see it was it visceral no, it combat? No, it wasn't visceral oh. combat. Like that's the thing is like it would have been fine if it was visceral combat. And I, I, it was like some other thing that was just completely, completely. Anyway, I'm going to move on. the The point is that I actually think that that for the for both YouTube creators and for people who work in traditional journalism, traditional games journalism and coverage, like there is space to improve and get better at what we do. But it, it can't come from an argument that first of all, like only focuses on consumer driven criticism. As there, as what's happening is actually new niches are being formed in which we can create criticism that isn't consumer driven and that can sustain itself despite not being about whether or not you want to purchase a product. And secondly, like what we need to figure out, and what what I think Patrick, one of the things you mentioned to me before, is like this is a moment of growing pains for the entire industry, but especially for people who are working in video, yeah. who are trying to figure out, who are going through all these the same arguments that we went through a decade ago, and then five years ago, and then three years ago, over and over again, and. Part of me like just wants to like sit back and let it happen, and part of me wants to be like, "Yo, catch up!" Like, there's all this stuff that's already happened. Take part in that conversation. Um, it was so interesting to me to see this come from Dunkey because I feel like a lot of his best videos don't feel, even if he he intends them to be sort of purchasing advice, right. they don't feel that way. They feel like an actual like, "Oh, this is a really interesting take on this game or on this genre or on sort of yeah, what's going on." He's personal here. about his exactly. videos, right. like, exactly. Right. Well, and is is not the th one of the things is like right now, even though he's part of Union for Gamers or whatever, which is the multi-channel network he's part of, that is not a destination the way 
Kotaku is, the way sure. Polygon is, the way GameSpot is. And so he isn't grouped with those other people. He's allowed to be his own voice. Yeah. And what we need is a, a more industry-wide change that recognizes independent writers and reviewers and video makers uh, – or sorry, who recognizes writers, uh, video makers and reviewers in those big sites as independent voices. Uh, we need more you know, uh, pull quotes that show up in advertisements to not just say like GameSpot said this, but to say games, Peter Brown from GameSpot said this so that instead of being like who a GameSpot believes that Crash Bandicoot is bad, it actually is like, oh no, Peter Brown had this specific reaction to the game and then you can put that in context. And right now there just is not much of that, like th- – which is also just an internet thing, you and know? One thing I like about there, – there's a site I want to give a shout out to. It's called GameCritics.com. Yep. They often do second and even third and occasionally even fourth responses totally. to games. They do multiple reviews. Obviously that is not something that everybody can do. I understand the bandwidth, but there are – options for this. Mm-hmm. There are ways of doing a sidebar or, or something else or, or somebody else found something. this interesting totally. or you can revisit I, something. I mean, there there are and also, I mean, the thing that's so tough is there are and also the metrics don't always support that. Like They probably pretty much never support that. They pretty much that. never support that. <laughs> yeah. or, or you see, what I see a lot of is people finding the space to do it. Um, someone yeah. like J.V. Gwaltney yeah. over at uh, Game Informer has a weekly column where he's able to, to dive back into stuff that he's already done. Um, you know, uh, uh, Pat and Nick over at Polygon just did a video about Wolfenstein. And, like That's like loosely pegged on Wolfenstein getting a sequel. Sure. You find those opportunities to do it. Yeah, you, you make – you make totally. that case and then you go for and it. And to kind of me, yeah. that issue, the issue of like doing niche coverage of stuff that is not new product releases, that is not tied to a big news event, which is a problem that every every outlet has to deal with in terms of trying to get coverage or get their coverage seen, um, is not – as Patrick said, is not unique to, to exactly. the written word, is not unique to major outlets. That is also a YouTube problem and that – this could be a super productive conversation about how you address that, how you build communities, how you build uh, ways of monetizing this stuff that does allow you to, to create interesting criticism that is not only tied to new releases, that is not only tied to like a product-driven system. And like maybe Nine Minutes just didn't give that dude enough time to dig into what, <laughs> what do we do, but yeah. like – I don't know, like, there, there are pieces going around today on global warming. And a lot of the response to that, it's like a very doom and gloom piece. It's a very, like, yo, we fucked. Like, there is not a space for us to, to <laughs> We should out. build bunkers. Right, exactly. Like, we right. really should. Uh, and a lot of the response I've seen to that is, like, like this is a – the doom and gloom here is useful insofar as it gets us – talking about this issue in in that, like, maybe we would have missed this article otherwise. But we need productive solutions. We need suggestions on directions that we can investigate. And that's what I want from any conversation that's about the state of games journalism, games criticism. It's like, oh, well, what, what do we actually do better? Because the answer is, like, there's no answer here. Like, the, right. outside of... Well, the, the answer in the video is do it like I do. Right, but that's not ever going to happen right. <laughs> for a game spot. <laughs> like, like, if everyone could just start a YouTube channel and have 3.6 million subscribers, like, man, it should be a lot easier. It should be way easier. <laughs> I wouldn't be had, here. I wouldn't right, be a waypoint. Of course, I'd be on YouTube. We would all be on YouTube. Exactly. <laughs> and, like, and also, but also, I'm not convinced that the market can sustain 300 game critics who have 3.6 million views right. or, or subscribers. You know what I mean, or, or whatever that number is. Like, if well, every and that's, and that's why you see, uh, you know, look at what uh, Danny O'Dwyer, uh, uh, Drew Scanlon, yeah, uh, lots totally. of folks are doing, where they, you know, they have an idea, they raise money on something like Patreon, right, um, and they go and make those videos. Neither of those channels has millions of subscribers, like because like people believed in an idea, fund it. And then it doesn't. It doesn't. The right. traffic that Direct doesn't consumer matter. Stuff. That's just yeah. a different model of totally. of how you you build around that. And um, 
That works for some people. That works for people with established personalities, right. established <laughs> I was audiences. Say. That, <laughs> that doesn't work for if, if rando number one said, I want to travel the world and make <laughs> videos on it on YouTube. Like, you're not going to do that. You do that because you trust Drew Scanlon to go do that. doesn't mean the other person wouldn't be just as good. You just don't have an established relationship with that person. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've the thing is, I, I guess part of what I found frustrating about it was because I do like a lot of Dunkey's work and find him right. to be, like, very thoughtful yeah. about like, I've also been thankful because uh, my wife likes to watch his videos. Like, he, she thinks he's funny. And he has a way of showing what's interesting about games through humor. That if I was to show her a video that was, like, a super thoughtful, like, well-edited, like, d- explaining why a game is interesting, like, her eyes are going to glaze over. And so he still manages to show why a game is interesting and do it in a thoughtful way, but make you laugh along uh, that journey. And it ends up like making her watch videos for games that like she wouldn't. I, there's no way I could get her like to watch <laughs> right. a nine minute video about this. But uh, he he finds a way to make that interesting. And so I I guess I just felt a little bummed. Like like this, it, this is the work you put in for this video. Like like this this is it. Yeah. Like I expect. I expect more from the work he does in other videos that he's done because I've seen him put in more work to those videos. And so this just shows like a very shallow, uh, not particularly thoughtful interpretation of a bunch of problems that, yo, if we could have solved that 15 years ago, we would have. Yeah, we, if we um, could get rid of review scores trying, from major sites. Um, like, yeah. I don't know, Rob, you've been in this industry for a long fucking time and like have seen it from – Staff writing positions, from editorial positions, from freelance positions, from like behind the scenes managerial positions. Like, how how do we do we address this, or or like do we address the number problem? Do we try to address as a as a games review culture any of the things that he's put forward, or, or do you think this is just like a thing that we'll keep returning to every decade forever? Yeah, I think we're doomed to keep repeating this conversation <laughs> uh, until global warming takes us all. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, yeah, you're all part of the Anthropocene. I think some of it is coming from a place where what I see in that video is sort of a cry for the sort of personal relationship with games critics that someone can have with with Dunky that Dunky apparently feels with other YouTube critics, and I suspect probably used to feel with some outlets uh, before things got a little bit diluted. Right. Well, what do you what do you mean by diluted there? Or what do you think he means by diluted there? Or you know, I don't want to put his words in your mouth necessarily. I think it used to be easier. Okay, there's there's two things I'm in danger of conflating them. Mm-hmm. There's the idea that an outlet has a really strong overall voice and identity that like no matter whose byline it is or maybe there's not even a byline depending on the uh, on the outlet but no, no matter who's there the outlet has a voice and an approach that you somehow feel connected to and that you can entrust yourself to and that has become harder to feel i think and that's for a couple of reasons i think one we're a lot more media savvy and a lot more yeah. media cynical than we were 10 15 years ago uh, I, I think, you know, I definitely put on rose-tinted lenses when I think about uh, the old Ziff Davis uh, 1-Up and, uh, you know, CGW days. Um, I I was blind to a lot of the maybe compromises and pressures those groups felt until they were sort of explicitly talking about them. But I remember in the 90s, I sort of did feel the sort of, uh, co- like, collective identification with an outlet like Computer Gaming World, with an outlet like PC Gamer. Now... That has gotten, I think, maybe a little broken down in part because 
reviews and games criticism has become, I think, commodified in a way that it didn't used to be. In what uh, way? More interchangeable. Uh, it's being treated more interchangeably uh, than it used to be. I mean, what do you think is like the cause of that? Or, or give me, can you give me an example of that in some way? Like, in what way was the was a review of uh, you know you go back twenty years or something? You think about like a Half Life review, the, the review of Half Life in CGW when it first ran. I don't know who wrote that review. Uh, versus like a review of uh, a major of Prey this year that would run on an IGN or a GameSpot. Like, yeah. how do you mean commodified in that sense? 20 years ago, like, I can literally tell you this because, like, I'm good friends with a lot of people freelancing back in the day. Like, two people I work, uh, you know, pretty regularly with and closely with uh, over on Three Moves Ahead, you've got Troy Goodfellow, Bruce Mm -hmm. Garrick, and Tom Check uh, when when we can get him. And 20 years ago, they would have been paid $1,500, maybe more. For one of those big marquee reviews, and they would have been, then that would have been the project for the month. By the way, like, mm-hmm. that would have been that would have been their their, their critical work that they were they were devoting themselves right. to. They play this twenty hour game, and then they put in another twenty hours to of work this. on writing it, yeah. reviewing it, taking edits, taking notes, rewriting, sending off, getting screenshots ready, whatever. And, you know? and there would have been editorial patience for that as well. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah, By yeah. the way, like it would like you'd been hitting a print deadline, obviously, sure. but. There would have been time to go through a pretty involved process uh, about this. I'm in the same line of work. I came to it, you know, 20 years later. And that same piece of work would have been a few hundred dollars if it was a good outlet paying good rates. Yep. Uh, There were definitely a lot of places I worked where it would have been like, look, we can give you like 50 bucks. Yep. Yep. uh, But you'll get your name out there. And there were times that deal was worth it. But... It does mean that to make any kind of living doing that, you've got to become much more machine-like, much much faster. And you do not get the space or sort of the love and attention from editors uh, to sort of like create that kind of work. But maybe more importantly, also give it sort of an individual voice. Uh, that it's not just a review that's got to hit a deadline and go out the door right. and you know it'll, it'll get hits or not. 20 years ago, this is the CGW review of this game. This is this is our this is our big review from a name you have a relationship with that we're, you know that we are invested in. And I think that made it easy to feel that connection uh, with an outlet. So with you were critics. able to say this is this CGW review even though it's a subjective opinion of the writer carry certain traits or priorities that would not be found on another outlet. I guess like that's where I – this is where it gets tricky for me is like yeah. I think as a writer – I guess maybe that's not true. So like I definitely think you know, – I've written for a number of sites and when I wrote for GameSpot, for instance, there were definitely like asides that I would have to cut because they don't quite fit in or like I'd have to have that conversation with my editor and say like, no, listen, like – I know I'm just writing about Project Cars, a, a game about driving, but I, you know, a game about racing. But I wanted to dedicate this whole paragraph to the notion of driving. Yeah. Uh, let me explore this. <laughs> it's important context. And I have to have that conversation in a way that, like, if I was writing for Paste, Garrett, who is the Garrett Martin, who's the editor, uh, not the editor, the editor of the gaming section at Paste, would be like give me the leeway to do that uh, because it's more in the Paste voice to allow me to do that. Uh, is that kind of what you mean when you talk about? There being a unified, and I guess what we think Donkey means when we talk about having a unified or cohesive, like outlet voice. Yeah, I think that's I think that's part of it. I I think you've got a a set of hands that are consistently trying to like 
consistently shaping things to sort of reflect the outlet's identity and values. Right. Um, and, and that may still happen, but I do feel like a lot of the review, the places he's specifically talking about, um, it no longer feels like there's in a lot of those places. I, I'm not sure it always feels like there's as much leeway to individualize and personalize things that you maybe got in uh, computer gaming world 20 years ago. Yeah, I, um, I, and I, a lot I, of that stuff has ended up, I think, in outlets like Paste, which sure. are a, a little more maybe niche is the way to put yeah, it. Like you, you, like I don't look. I'm, I've always assumed that Paste's rates are maybe not the the highest. Paste works with a lot of young uh, freelancers who are, like, for their first time. Like, Garrett is also someone who will give someone a chance who does not have any, like, writing publication, and the rates reflect that, I think. Like, and, that's, that's, and that's not a knock, but it nope, does mean that, nope. like, a lot of places that allow the most, like, character and individuality in, in their pieces also tend to be maybe the most, like, um, <laughs> you know, like, almost like renegade. It's the unwinnables. It's the pace. Right, right, it's, right. Yeah. It, it's the sort of the smaller personal outlets that you don't find that same approach necessarily at an IGN. So I guess the the thing there, though, is that's that's tough is there's this double bind, which is on one hand, what Dunkey wants, what I think a lot of people want, including me, is more voice-driven, subject, subjective uh, criticism that recognizes that opinions are subjective. Excuse me. Um, that writers have peculiarities. That they have personal they have expertise. Tastes. They have tastes. Yep. They have interests that are not just is this thing a thing worth buying. Right. At the same time, what Dunkey says he wants, and it sounds like what you want to some degree, Rob, is a return to the notion that like this outlet is producing the outlet's response to this game. This is waypoint, not waypoint. We don't do traditional, but putting a stamp on yeah. it. Right. This is Gamespot's take on Sonic, and. He goes so far as to say it's it's incongruous when an outlet says there are no good so- someone at an outlet says there is no good Sonic games, but also they've published an eight or nine you know point oh review score of a Sonic game in the last year, and like I'm just never going to be there for that argument. I'm just never going to be there for like well our reviewer liked it, and so, so I don't think that that's incongruous at all. I think that that there's no incongruity there. Like to me, that is just this is what the editor has decided has pushed back on the writer when they've given their review. The writer says like no, I really think this is an 8.5. Sonic is back, baby. Like, <laughs> finally, we return to the glory days. Um, and also that there editor no can... glory days. And also, that, and also the, the editor can later say, there are no glory days. My writer thinks there was. <laughs> I edited that rigorously. I pushed back. They gave me their argument. Their argument stood up. But, like, there, I would never want there wrong. to... they're wrong. Yeah. Right, but like, they're wrong. say that. I would right. never want there right. to be a site that's like, no, this is a... Our writer's this is an not idiot, a you know? Like, Sonic... <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, outlet. Yeah. We're never going to give a, a Sonic game a nine point five or whatever. You know, but but I think the, so. This is this is actually the, sort of the problem I had with that entire video. I actually liked the video quite a bit, but there's also games being played in that video that mm-hmm. actually make it really difficult to figure out what parts of this video are like meant to be intellectually honest and which are just him taking the piss. Because mm-hmm. the entire video is him kind of demonstrating the critical values he wants to see in the world, but then also sort of like showcasing his own hypocrisy when it comes to those stated values. And so there's kind of the shell game being played yeah. throughout that video of like, oh, these are the things I believe, except for these when I don't. Right. Like, it's, except it's fuck this- Sonic, etc. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, you know, what... what what, do, what does he actually want? I'm not sure. 
when I when I'm talking about sort of this this imagined golden era of games criticism and outlets, <laughs> was that ever real? Like it's how it felt. Right. I'm talking about like, but we just weren't savvy. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's the if thing. We were like, thirteen. That's the actual yeah. double bind. Is <laughs> we want more subjective criticism, but also in understanding that criticism is subjective, it uh, it eviscerates the notion of ever seeing again an outlet that has a unified voice. Like I'm always going to be able to see the the seams going forward. Right. I, I think, and at the same time, as the editor in chief of Waypoint, want Waypoint to have a central voice. I know when I look at a piece, when we get a pitch in, I can go like, mm, that isn't a good fit. And what do I mean by that? Is it doesn't fit something that we want to achieve with waypoint like and that can be a hard soft it's a, a hard slash soft it's a difficult thing it's a hard soft it's a hard there's soft not like, there's, I get not, it. there's not like lines in the sand right. it's more like it's like something in your uh, gut it's a tone there it's are like, some lines in the sand it's how you know you're okay, in love i know but you're not like we like we don't have like a document that says like no. this is waypoint this isn't waypoint no. it's something that like, it would be easier if we had a document it's <laughs> true if we had an algorithm i mean because that's part of what you know appeal all like you know, his argument of uh, it's easier when it's one person, one voice. Like, I like working with a collective. Like, I like working with a group. Not that I don't enjoy doing my own solo stuff, but, like, Waypoint is stronger, like, with a bunch of voices that have sort of a collective sort of feel, opinions. Like, we are not all one and the same, and yet, like, we are mm-hmm. on roughly a certain page that allows us to uh, project a certain tone and voice for the website. And it is a stronger voice by having several people who are contributing to it as opposed to one singular. Like, I think there are different ways to approach it, but I don't think it, like, just because one voice can be powerful on its own Mm -hmm. does not reduce the idea of, like, multiple voices contributing to a single idea or ideals is also equally powerful in its own right. There's there's something else that bugs me here, too. It, It always did. (laughs) <laughs> Dunky hold like creates this juxtaposition of like when a total biscuit review comes in, you know it's total biscuit. When it's my review, you know it's me. These freelance writers you're citing aren't yeah. fucking hiding, man. Yeah. Like yeah. if you want to know your right critic, there. Yeah. It's it's Go real easy. All to of do them that. have a Twitter account. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so like when I was doing when when I was like freelancing, it always bugged me a little bit, and it happened more at some of the big sites than, than not, where you'd find somebody playing that fucking game of like, this is ridiculous because IGN gave this game this, <laughs> and now exactly like now this reviewer is for IGN is giving a similar game a completely different score. This is internally inconsistent. And it's like, look. Rowan Kaiser and I disagree on a million things. Yeah. Sometimes that guy sucks. Uh, no, love, love you, Rowan. Uh, but the, the point is, though, you love can you. go online and you see our like you can see our body of work. Yeah. You can sort of see the things we're bringing to each like. Piece like we're the, reviewing. Well, like the most frustrating thing is he pulls up an example of how GameSpot literally does this in the text of the pages. When you write a review for GameSpot, or I think Polygon does this too, or maybe it was Kotaku, it's like at the bottom, I think it's Polygon, at the bottom you're like, my name, like, you know, so-and-so, Janine yeah. Hawkins loves farming games. She's most recently played blah, 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 and she first started playing them during Harvest Moon. Like, Rob Zachney is a big fan of 4X games. He'll never get back the hours he lost playing as the Spaniards in Civ 3, or whatever. Like, you write up a new one of those at the bottom bottom as the footer of every review so that you can give your reader at least some loose context of what you like and who you are. And like he uses one of those to dunk on Peter Brown because in it he says up front like when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. 
As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. I put, I put Peter Brown played through half of the, the new Crash games, each like half of each of the new the, – the remasters of those Crash games, which is just like – I can't believe it is 2017 and we're still we're fucking having the arguing. If you have to beat the I game, have an opinion about it. I can't believe it. And it's growing pains. It's growing oh, pains. A remaster, by the way. Yeah, you have a to remaster. Beat the remaster. <laughs> Fuck. Just say God. what you played and like talk. Like, <clears throat> as long as you're upfront about it, like it's chill. Just, yeah, just talk. Just be honest. And there's a part of this that I understand the frustration of average reader yeah. going to a place, being like, "Look, I've got sixty dollars for the next six months." This is why I'll defend I review scores find, if I have to. I need to find the thing that will give me the most bang for my buck. Yeah. after work, that kind of thing. I, I respect that that is a place where a lot of people are coming from. Every time I talk to people who don't do anything like this and I tell them what I do, of course, the first thing is always, well, what a cool job. And I'm like, yeah. I know, I'm pretty lucky. I, <laughs> I hit the jackpot in the job market. Uh, and then the second thing is always like, oh, but what's, you know, what's actually good? What's good? Right. They, don't, yes. they don't necessarily... What's, what's hot right now? It's definitely... Exactly. They don't necessarily want to know uh, all, all of the stuff that we are interested in because this is our profession. This is our job. We want to dive into things. I think we should dive into things. I think there's a great place for that. I do respect that there is a desire for, for something that looks like a... Opinion with right. a stamp on it. Yeah. I, I respect that. I do wish that sort of years of, of product, um, sort of product journalism didn't sort of ruin people to want that opinion, I suppose. Right. Not ruin people. That's a really judgy way of saying that. Sorry. Um, no, but, but, but like sort mean. of ruin people's expectations or, or sort of, it, you know, sort of prime you to expect a very specific thing. And now that we're moving away from that or at least attempting to move away from that, it feels like a – Oh, but that's what people really want. What's right. you know? What do we well, do? This here, is the, this right? is part of the thing. Was like in the video, Donkey suggests that the reason that everyone gets every game gets between a seven and a ten. That there's not every game, but that there is a Most, the reason that, that, yeah. that there is a weight towards the seven and ten is because of publisher relationship. I think Phil Kohler from Polygon. Uh, was like actually the the most response I get if I if I give a low score is from fans, not from For publisher. Sure. Like if I'm scared at yeah. all, it's not because like Ubisoft is going to call me up and be like, no, that game was good. Poison him at E3. <laughs> it's year. because yeah. it's because like oh, I guess I don't get to use Twitter this week. Like, right. I guess this is just going to be like a billion people who love Ezio are going to be like in my mentions, be like, no, Ezio's good. <laughs> But even yes. there, like even again, it's another example of this video being kind of in her internally inconsistent. Because earlier in the video, he also says a lot of like the staff critics you find at these outlets, yeah. like only play major games, and they don't play everything that's out there. And <sighs> voila, we found the seven to ten bias in the reviews. Congratulations! Right. As somebody who like used to review a whole bunch of shit that editors couldn't be bothered to review, yes. let me tell you, that's where those I fives know are. What, <laughs> There's some twos I know out what the five looks like. Yeah, yeah. You know what uh, I mean? It's, it's tough. I also think that we we're not going to go to like what the ten point score system right, in, right. In, you know uh, uh, emboldens in terms of scoring. <laughs> but but I, it's just uh, it is like such an old thing. Someone in the chat, I think Ewoks Kick was like, "Wait, so do y'all not think that you need to complete the game to give it a score?" I think that we're all adults, and if in the review you say, "I didn't complete this game, and right. here is what I'm scoring it based on what I gave it, or based on what I what Here's I played through." Here's my twenty five hours. I think that you're yeah. that as a reader, you should feel comfortable being like, "Oh, you didn't play it all the way through. That matters to me. I'll go find a different." review once you've said out loud here is what i've played of this game you should feel comfortable yeah i think it's like a general expectation that you finish a game but of course if you disclose 
You're good. Yep. You Cover said it. Yeah, like you said it. Yeah, and that, yeah, it can be something that you take issue with, and then that's fine. Like that, yep. the glory of YouTube and Twitter and everything. <laughs> you will find someone else. Different. There will be yeah, somebody you can find there. Someone who beat that game. I mean, that ignores. You know, sometimes what people bring up, I think rightly so, is like the larger realities of things like Metacritic that some, you know, some outlets dump into Metacritic, some don't, and like how that feeds into how publishers like dish out royalties. And so the idea that someone would play 20 hours a game, but not 40 hours a game, and what if they liked it at the end of 40 hours Uh a game that influences the royalties for a developer whose games maybe you like. I mean, like, there are, I I see how that like chain goes, and I understand the problems there. You know, fortunately, we don't have to deal with Metacritic. We have no interest in being on Metacritic. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I get why that is. It's, it's complicated. complicated. It's complicated. And I think that there, again, like, I don't know. We, we've said this from the jump that, like, just because we don't have review scores doesn't mean that we don't value what reviews and, and why people want review scores. Yeah. And, like, all of this stuff is a bunch of small micro populations who have different perspectives on what they need from games scores. The sorts of people who are having the conversation we're having are such a small, like, that video has 3 million views. That's like, or like 2.3 million views, which is like not nothing, but it's a tiny smidgen of what who plays games. Who plays games. Yeah. And including who plays big budget games, who plays console games, who plays indie games on Steam. Like, all of those smaller conversations are happening that have different interests. Some of them want there to be curators on Steam. Some of them would hate if you're a curator on Steam. Some of them want <laughs> want every game to be uh, on multi-platform. Some of them only want them to come to Xbox. Some of them are really in love with backwards compatibility. I had a guy message me the other day on Twitter who runs a retail store. He's like, I don't get why my customers care about backwards compatibility. Don't they, like, just bring out the old fucking system? And, like, all of those different voices are so keyed into different parts of this conversation that when these these larger conversations bubble up, like, I think some of the, the discourse around it reflects the fact that there are just all of these different kind of, like, demographic positions on, on the, the huge web of people who care about games and I don't know I, I just try to keep that context in mind when I, when I think it through all this stuff like I, none of this is going to change tomorrow um, but I do think that the, the fact that this conversation bubbles up again and again suggests or reflects larger systemic changes in what's happening if that makes sense <sighs> yeah I think we got it out of our system. We got our stamp on it. Yeah, that was the, the waypoint stamp. Seal of approval. Did this it. is it. We did it. That's the waypoint conversation. <laughs> that's not but even that's not true, right? Because right. and this is the thing that's tough yeah. about this is like Mike Diver wasn't on this conversation. Right. And Mike is a key part of the team. Danik is not part of this conversation. Danik is a key part of the team. Yes. Our freelancers are not part of this conversation. And if you think that there's a waypoint without a Cameron Cun- a Cameron Kunzelman, a Janine Hawkins, Jordan a Lewis Mallory. Gordon, a Jordan Mallory, yeah. uh, you know, like a Kate Gray, like there are yes. so many people who have contributed and Ed Smith, like they, these are people yes. who's Voices have appeared on the site over and over and over again, and I will always – I would always prefer to be – you know, this is like – if I'm going to err in one direction, I'm going to err in being descriptive instead of prescriptive, which means like I want to know what the waypoint is that exists for real and want to address that instead of being like, no, what waypoint is is blank and anything that doesn't <laughs> fit into that isn't really waypoint. Uh, and I think that that's, the, that's basically the way I think about all outlets is like – all right, what's Polygon actually like today? Like, what is Polygon? What does it mean? Not what do they achieve? Do they aspire to be? Not what are their ambitions? Not what are their stated intentions? What is Polygon actually? What yeah. is GameSpot actually? And in almost every case, what I see is a group of people who are working their asses off to produce games criticism, games news coverage, to share entertaining videos. Video, yeah. Like, all of that stuff is, is what I see. And it doesn't mean that I like it all, but, like, I don't I, – I fundamentally push back on the notion that there is a unique sickness inside of games journalism. And, in fact, think that there are lots of people trying their best to work hard the same way as there are on YouTube. I don't know. That's the that's the Austin Walker take. Like, I'll go. stand by there the Austin Walker fucking that. take. Yeah. I don't think that that's, I'm not speaking for everybody else here. <laughs> oh, deep breath. 
Huh. Okay, shake it out. Let's everybody <sighs> do a, a roll those stretch. You roll them up, roll them back. Patrick, how's your forward. how's your daughter doing? You doing uh, your how's she, woke, she woke up for a little bit. Okay, and then, and then she fell asleep again. Rob, so. why are you, Rob? Rob, why are you? Subterfuge is happening. Robert, how are you? Rob, how are your See, submarines? She woke up. She woke up she for woke, a few minutes. She woke up and launched a sneak attack she did. on Rob. Then she went back to sleep. She's fake sleeping. She has a phone. She, see? <laughs> well, it's normally she has my phone, so that's usually. Okay. Oh. Nor do you give her games to play, and are any of them, are there any of them about su- sneak submarine attacks? <laughs> Is that, can you do that while playing the Moana soundtrack on Spotify? Is that like a secret? <laughs> Moana takes place in the ocean, right? Like near an ocean. See? True. So, I don't know. Subterfuge. Rob, can we talk about subterfuge? Can you explain oh, what this is? Oh, we can is? talk about yeah, subterfuge. Can you, do you want to set up what subterfuge is? Okay, want, so subterfuge okay. is uh, sort of a... If you're familiar with the board game Diplomacy, uh, it's sort of like diplomacy for your phone. It's uh, it's a strategy game where the way combat and like the actual conflict is resolved is very, very straightforward and very simple. And that moves the focus to -to player-to-player interactions and bargaining and alliances. The key thing about subterfuge is that, unlike in a lot of strategy games, nothing's actually, like, codified. Like, it's not like in Civilization, where you can say, like, we're allies now, and therefore you can't immediately turn around and stab them in the back. I think you used to be able to do that in Civ, uh, but they kind of took that away, so now you have to, like, sort of take your relationship up and down in, in, in notches. Um in subterfuge, you can just screw anybody at any, any, any time. <laughs> so you're basically and, like the very broad picture is you're a submarine commander. You're a submarine commander. You have underwater stations, and you want yeah. to expand out your borders and increase. Pro- you're drilling for some mineral, right? And the way you win the game is either by being the last person standing, or to hit a certain count of the mineral, or to have an, a certain amount of stations. If I'm remembering yeah. correct. Um, and there are there is a tactical side of this game where you win encounters by having more attack subs than the opponent has defense subs plus their home base or whatever whatever their attack yeah. strength is. But then there's also specialist there's speci- characters right. so you that could change like the math a bit. Send yeah. a bomb that could destroy a base or you could have a, a special spy who could or whatever. There's all sorts of like There's a characters. critical detail. Okay. The game is continuous time. Right. Oh, it is time. always it is always running. Uh, yes. And so somebody can do something <laughs> at three in the morning or you can have the experience. OK, so this was me last night. Uh huh. Like I am exhausted. Like I have been like I reorganized a lot of the house, you know, doing some moving stuff. Uh-huh. I was tired. I was about to go to bed. I was literally like slipping under the covers, putting the phone on the charger. <laughs> and I noticed the notification light is blinking and I open it up. And there's a ton of, like, status messages. Like, okay, like, there's five new fleets that have appeared on your sonar. (laughs) There's four new diplomatic messages from other players. And everybody is online all at once, which usually means some shit is about to go down. Like, you see these little pips of color corresponding to each player. Everyone is online watching this game. And what was happening last night, and I can talk about this now, uh, because I think it's already basically happened, is oh that, shit! You're like Ozymandias oh up in here. God. You're like, you think I got to tell you this plan? If it, it already happened 20 minutes ago. <laughs> so I had a really perilous border with um, with two other players, and it looked like they were going to come after me. And if they did, I was going to be in real deep trouble. So I was doing this like frantic last minute diplomacy, trying to like change the numbers and change the math and i was like drawing other players into the conversation and some of us have played before and some of these people have played together a lot and so like 
there's each individual game is not quite individualized. There's history right, between the right. players that you there can play on. There have been betrayals. On. There have been allegiances that have stood the test of time. Yeah, and so like in the middle of the night last night, like midnight, I'm like, I can't go to bed yet. Like, I need to see how this is going to shake out. And so from, like, midnight to one, I'm frantically messaging, like, four other people trying to, like, change the diplomatic structure of this game and, like, get intelligence updates from everyone else. Like, where'd that fleet go? Have you seen what happened to that right. one fleet that w- was moving a little while earlier? Uh, and it finally, it, it broke in my favor. Uh, Nick Capizzoli had sort of fitted me up, and he was going to team up with uh, another player to wipe me out. And that other player was basically like, yeah, Nick thinks I'm going to do that, oh, shit. but I'm not. Oh, word. Did they do the thing? So my, one of my favorite things, I played a game with Jack DeKeet uh, and some another Twitter friend of mine years ago. Jack DeKeet, also a waypoint for you. Also, I was going to say key another part key of, voice. Of yeah. Um, <laughs> and what we ended up doing in this really key moment was that Jack agreed with a third party to send attack ships to, to capture my thing. And at the last possible minute, he turned them from attack ships into gift ships. He gifted me a bunch of submarines instead of attacking with them. And that, like, completely saved my ass. You didn't look a gift ship in the mouth. I, it's not even a pun, Danielle. <laughs> you just changed the words. I'm sorry. That's fine. Giggle. Jesus Christ. Uh, and so, yeah, that was that was a, a, a big, a big, I love that you can do that sort of stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm actually, this the, is actually good gift ship thing is a real um, like that scene in Braveheart where the two armies run at each other and then they like bro out in the middle uh-huh. of the field and turn against Longshanks yeah. like that is a classic subterfuge move that I've seen happen in a few places where it instantly changes the entire dynamic of the game yeah so it's it's a really like playing a game subterfuge always feels like a mistake yep. because <laughs> you start out and you're like this is fun man I missed this shit and then you're three or four days in, and that itch has been scratched. Yeah. Like, you've had your fill of subterfuge, but now you're kind of invested. And so you're doing things like setting your alarm for 2.30 in the morning no. to launch a fleet. Uh, you know, Capo like, posted a screenshot on Twitter the other day of him setting notifications on his phone, muting all notifications while he sleeps, except for subterfuge notifications, which is one to wake him up. I, That's I, what you turn uh, into. So I actually wrote about this game for Paste years yeah. ago. I think in like 2013. Um, 2015. Oh, God. You not know, that, that, not that many like years, years ago. It sure does. <laughs> was, well, the thing that was wild to me was when I was playing it. You can look that piece up. Uh, just search for Paste Subterfuge Austin. I think you'll find it. Um, was I was playing it while I was also in the middle of the last – or not the last, but a previous big video game discourse monster like – like we were all it was the formalism versus oh. whatever d- debate at the time oh yeah um, and that was extra wild because on one side of that debate on the opposite side of me was like Frank Lance in the NYU Game Center at the time while I was interviewing for a job at the NYU Game Center <laughs> which is like and also meanwhile I was already up at night in the middle of the night playing like subterfuge at 5am so I was just like this intense ball of panic for a week straight oh my god I ended up losing that game too it was very close but like oh my god it was very intense People are messaging me. They're watching this. Like people, I know. In my I see. Game I see people in the chat. I robot parking. 
who's a who's a, a Canadian games academic who I knew back, who was also in that larger debate. It's like now you're trapped. Trapped is the word you're looking for, Rob. You're trapped in subterfuge. Uh, earlier, he also said in the chat, "Rob, stop talking and start fucking Nick up." Which is like, yes. If we had infinite time, if we could like dedicate a, a week to playing subterfuge, if if we could get a sponsor, if we could get someone documentary, like, yeah, a documentary of us playing this game together, I would do it because it would be incredible fun. But also, the waypoint seventy dude, seventy two days of betrayal. Yes, oh exactly. God. The new seventy two. It would be really good because we'd all hate each other by the end. But also, it just takes so much time and energy to play that game. I, I just can't fit it into my I think life I'm ever too nice again. To play that game, you start out that way. And by the end, the knives are going to come out. I'm I'm really nice. Someone very close to you would betray you, and that would be it. That's true. There, there. It's interesting that there are some people who like have a code. There, there are certain there are omars of right. yeah. Of, yeah. of subterfuge, <laughs> and then there's people who like you know are gleeful <laughs> in their <laughs> shittiness. Like literally, like they see what's possible in this game, and they're like, "Oh yeah, this is for me." That's I want to be like. Imagine Littlefinger or Carcetti, uh-huh. but with like a tenth the integrity, and they're like, "Hell yeah, that's that's who I'm gonna be." That's um, uh, Nick actually wrote of. For me, just not here, when I was at Giant Pop, Subterfuge has carried me for the last few years. He wrote uh, a column over at uh, Giant Bomb last April called The Known Unknowns of Subterfuge, which is not a very clickable head. I'm looking at it. This is not good (laughs) packaging. Um, uh, In which he actually compares Subterfuge to – not compares it, but um, kind of um, draws a line between it and – and the Robert McNamara um, documentary by Errol Morris. What is the oh, name of oh, that? Um, of that, the Fog of War. Yes. Um, and like talks about, uh, kind of about that that game and like the notion of um, international conflict and and politics and war. And it's a very good piece. We should go read that also. Wow. We should go read all these these pieces on different websites. <laughs> Welcome, welcome to Austin Walker promoting shit that go. is on Waypoint. That's um, fine. Let, let us know. I'm really curious come Friday how haggard you will look. When will this game be over probably, Rob? Oh, God. No one knows. <laughs> <laughs> You're really trapped. You really, like, really somebody, are. Like somebody mentioned the other day, as as all hell broke loose, somebody was like, I cannot believe this is only day two. Because it like this yeah. is this is not even – we've not even played three full days of this game. You're fucked. And dog. I feel like I've been playing this game for You're years. Done. How many how many days does a game usually go? The first one I, I think did, the last game we played spanned two, possibly three presidential debates between Clinton and Trump. No. Oh, uh, the Jesus last one was that's way yeah. longer than the ones that's that like I like four years. Mine my first one took eight and a half days. So that's a small number. I guess people have gotten good at this game to where they can just kind of stalemate for a long time. Yeah, I might be misremembering that. I, I do remember, though, we, we had sort of a Christmas truce for the last debate. Oh. Where, like, we were all at each other's throats, but the debate came on. And it became this, like, weird group therapy session in the subterfuge group chat where we were all trying to murder each other. But, like, everyone is just sort of reacting to this and is like, is this for real? It was it was great. It was, have- it was it was totally like everyone coming out of their trenches to watch this, say. like, fucked up political disintegration. And then we all go back to our trenches and resume the murder. Uh, you sang songs. You shared a nip. Yeah. You know? yeah. It was very, maybe two. Maybe ten, you know. The, one, the fact that you can't quite remember how long the games go is, I think, an answer in and of itself. Uh, just becomes a fugue state by the end, and then two. Yeah. Also, uh, I I kind of I kind of love the notion of tying subterfuge around 
political, not political events, but like world events. Just like, all right, this is gonna be one of those weeks. I'm gonna play a game of subterfuge. So I'll always remember where I have this like one little outlet around this terrible event. I kind of want like the player unknown's battlegrounds version of subterfuge. Mm-hmm. Just give it to me in a day. Just give me a one day version of this. That's like the slightly more condensed. It, have te- a blue it keeps kind of yeah, yeah, exactly. condensing on itself. Exactly. We oh. gotta push in. We gotta push in. We're contesting. Somebody has to go space. every hour. Yeah, something like that. Great. Or maybe you know maybe it like starts at somebody has to go every four hours. Yeah, and then it kind of comes down that to like. Be so good. Developers, think about that. Game design. Yeah, that game's good. Check it out. It's on oh. iOS and, and Android. I think. Anybody else playing anything this week? I know we're going a little long. Play, I played Hollow Knight. I can talk about it next time, though. That'd be fun. Just tell me a little bit about Hollow Knight. Hollow Knight was a game that I wanted to play forever ago, out, and I never got around to yeah, it. Yeah, it came out the end of February, which was like Horizon Zero Dawn pre-Zelda. Remember pre-Zelda? That was vaguely. That was two and a half years ago. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, end of February, and I hadn't picked it up until recently because, as with many good things in my life, my girlfriend started playing it, got really hooked, and now we're playing it together. We're sort of hot-seating it, which is mm. lovely and amazing. Uh, it's a 2D uh, sort of both Metroidvania-ish, and it does take uh, some DNA from Dark Souls. I'm not going to call it a Souls-like. It does have some Souls-like elements Wait. to it. Okay. What does that mean? It means Explain. Uh, if you die... Uh-huh, you lose uh-huh. all your money, and you have to go okay. sort of kill your uh, a ghost of your previous okay, self to, to get, get your, your money back. It's a very souls Is the you money get, your XP also? Or are you leveling up that yeah, way? Yeah, because you're buying upgrades, basically. Okay. So that's that's the element that's like it's that. It's a 2D action platformer, It's a 2D right? action platformer. Okay. Yeah, you have a little sword. Really little, beautiful, uh, yeah, it's gorgeous. hand-animated visuals. Yeah, it's I guess lots, You know what I mean. Lots of things are hand-animated. but It has yeah. like <laughs> that sense of like an old cartoon, like a very old, yes. very beautifully, very mm. sort of lushly animated cartoon. It, it has almost, not quite monochromatic, but, but semi-monochromatic. It's very, like, dark, very, uh, you know, sort of black and white with a little blue and Mm -hmm. a little red and a little purple, that kind of thing. Uh, So it's gorgeous. And it's just a really, really well-designed – the map itself in this game is is maybe the element I'm most excited about. There is a massive amount of exploration. Okay. You're a big fan of that. Oh, yeah. I can see you glowing as you talk about it. I'm glowing from the Hollow Knight. Uh, And it's funny because I actually am jumping into this sort of halfway through the game. So I sort of had to learn quickly in the middle of the fungi forest. Or something that sounds like a Donkey Kong Country <laughs> level, which I know. <laughs> yeah, it's, a little it's something bit. fungi caverns, some somewhere. It's all right. Halfway through the game, ish. Um, combat feels really, really good for like a two D sort of action platformer. There's all kinds of different enemy types. They all require a different approach. You mm-hmm. can sort of bounce on certain things. You have to hit things from the side. You certain things explode. That sort of thing. So there's a lot of variety already going on in any given room. Okay, uh, which is really, really good. And yeah, just just a lot of good exploration. And I suppose another Souls like element is that the levels are massive and giant, and you can't go everywhere at first. Okay. but you open up shortcuts that let you go through right, sections right. of the level, so you can go back and save cool. if you're sort of at that point and a lot of boss fights a lot of I heard like I've that. heard that it's like I've heard that the boss fights specifically sometimes feel a little unfair in terms of timing and it's stuff. a little hard <laughs> well, I guess the thing I specifically heard was that enemy attacks come very quickly yes they and do. so it's it's you're on the defensive kind of a lot quite often yeah you okay. have to be very very quick you're like a little bunny so there's a lot of like yeah. you gotta hop you have to think about where you're hopping really quickly there's a dash midair that you have to sort of use yeah. really really intelligently or else you'll be toast really quickly this wow, makes me want to go check in on Dead Cells again. Me oh, too. Dead that Cells. Game. Dead Cells is super good. I, uh, I, I want to play more of both of those things. Dixon Vid actually just asked me if I played more Final Fantasy XII. I've not had more time to do that. But the reviews came out for that today. Oh. Uh, the remaster, and they seem pretty positive. So I'm going to maybe try to push. And I had someone write in, and, or, or no, 
not write in, but message me on Twitter and basically say like, hey, keep at it. Like you, you will hit a level of complexity that, that you'll be happy with soon. So going. I'm going to try to put some more time into it. I really want to write about it, but I've not found the time. This is the, the dilemma. It's uh, not enough of that. It's not enough it's time. It's a precious resource. Time. Let's take a quick dip into the question bucket and get one like dip. one quick question and then and then we'll wrap up. How's that sound? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else playing anything while I'm looking through questions? No, no chicken dinner. No chicken no. dinner. Fuck. We had a bad – not a bad run today. We just didn't get a good – How did the rest of your run go? Uh, I found a well, – were you not there? You were left, right? I died yeah, so very yeah, short. For people I, that aren't aware, I, in, right, as soon as we started streaming this morning, I had a call from my kid's daycare that was like, uh-huh. hey, come pick up your kid. And I was like, all right. I'll do one run and then I'll go. I mean, my kid was not dying, so please, yeah, subterfuge thing again. Too harshly. This was all um, part of it. It was all part but of the subterfuge. I, I remember yes. sitting back down after taking the call and then being like, "Where are we in the map? Like, I don't. That's an interesting way to play Battlegrounds. It's just like, ah, I don't know where I am." But then, yes, yeah, so we finished. We died, and then I don't. I don't know how yours ended. Uh, it ended with me climbing that hill and then getting shot okay. from multiple directions. You died I, on that hill. I died on that oh. hill. I died on that hill. Oh. God. I, I'm looking at these questions and nothing's jumping. I thought I saw something earlier, but now I'm not. Another correction on Bug Hot. A lot hot, of Bug Hot. Lot of bug hots. You know, the person who originally sent us Bug Hot apologized and wanted wanted us to know that he actually did, stu- you know, legitimately was studying Japanese uh-huh. and he was apologized for uh-huh. the mistake. That's good. He was very he nice wasn't about it. Us, he no, wasn't he just... wasn't. He... Okay. He was very nice about it. Thank you. <laughs> uh, this one actually comes in from David, who or Dave, uh, care of Toronto. Uh, Toronto, sorry, uh, who says, hey, y'all, I'm playing through Uncharted 3 after finishing Breath of the Wild. This particular game came to, came to me through a friend. I've never played a game that I enjoyed so much while also thinking it aggressively despised player input. I just finished a sequence where I could beat a man within an inch of his life at the end of a plane's gangway. The plane is in flight. But I could only finish the sequence by running up the gangway and releasing a piece of cargo to knock the gentleman out of the plane. It was wholly unacceptable that I should simply just throw him off the plane. Austin, did you write this question? Uh-huh. <laughs> the throwing of dudes into or against objects, something that I've done many times before. I love the characters, the cinematography, and much of the encounter design, but I often feel as though sequences are limited in their interactivity so as to showcase the ideas of the creators to the detriment of player input. Have you ever played a game that felt hostile to your input as a player, but somehow you kept playing? Um, I'm not going to answer this question because everyone knows it's just <laughs> The Last of Us. Uh, but I, I actually briefly, just to connect this back to the donkey thing, I think like you knowing that this sounds like me, us knowing that Danielle loves action platformers that have exploration, like yeah. this is the the future of game journalism that is about indiv- individual voices and ha- having a, a kind of an, an oove and a collection, like a, a knowable, subjective system of taste. I, I think we're and doing knowing that right Rob likes that. to hurt himself. Rob likes to hurt himself. Generally, strategy games. <laughs> but especially with long term strategy games that take a lot out of him. Like, yeah, this is a very Austin Walker esque thing. This is like, oh, yeah, this is a good question to read out loud. It says the thing I believe. <laughs> Uh, is there, but is there something else where, like, y'all have hit a, a point where it's like, man, this sucks, but I love enough about, about this thing to push forward? Hmm. Yeah. I, what, yes. what comes to mind? Yes. Uh, first, I would just say that he sh- or she – it's David. Okay. They Dave. are they are yeah. definitely coming to Uncharted at the wrong time right after Breath of the Wild oh, if they're yeah, feeling limited hard. in that way because Breath of the Wild really is a pretty expressive game that yeah. does let you approach things in, in many different ways and lets you completely fuck around the entire totally. time. There was that speed run that. during AGDQ yes. there, or there was SGDQ. That, orchestra. Well, yeah, Orchestra, who's uh, great. Yes. Uh, it was like 40 minute long. 40, Lots yeah, of around physics, 45 physics minute breaks long. breaks and yeah. stuff like that, which was rad. It's pretty um, incredible stuff. So what's the game that comes to mind for you that, that where this happened? Um... 
Come back to me. Okay. I, I, this is a familiar I'm feeling. I'm looking but, through yeah. lists of games where I'm trying to think of You're where I had. you trying to feel one out? Rob, do you have one? Yeah, I mean, like, but it's, it's tough to think. Like, this is kind of a nuance. Like, games that I actually didn't like. But they felt hostile to me. That is that or is a tough that you one. Did like games that you did like, but felt hostile to you. Mm. Games that you pushed through. The specific question is like: Have you ever played through a game that felt hostile to your input as a player, but somehow you kept playing? Like specifically, Dave loves the characters, the cinematography, and all that other stuff. Um, whereas, you know, for for me, I often sometimes didn't even like that stuff when I played through some of those games. <laughs> Um, <laughs> biggest Uncharted fan right here. Uh, I, Austin Uncharted Walker. It's a, they're games that I can recognize the quality of, yeah. and I just know that I have taste that's my taste, and like it's that's tough. I, I want to love those games. I feel that way about The Godfather, so don't feel bad. You feel that way about The Godfather? I do. The whole, the whole, whole. wait, the game or the the no, 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 the, no, the, the novel or the, the, movies, or the films? The films. Huh? What Beautifully you, crafted, impeccably mm-hmm. crafted. Doesn't yeah, do a doesn't, damn thing do, for me. For just you. not my thing. And now I will never live it down. No, that's fine. So fine. I, I'll you defend know. your right to not it's like right. the Godfather films. <laughs> you're disappointing my father who's listening. who's a big Godfather really fan and loves you. Austin's and he's dead. just like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I that Danielle, you. I guess. He loved you. I mean, yeah, loved, right. Like, yeah. like a brother. I'm going actually. for like, a Fredo. short walk that's, off a long pier uh-huh. now after this one. Oh, I, you know what? I can, I, I can, I can think of a game. From, um, for this, I'm looking through. I keep a list of all the games I play every year. So yeah. it's useful for these sorts of discussions. Yes. Um, and one that came to mind was uh, Soma from a couple of years oh, ago. Oh, totally. So it, uh, from the developers of Amnesia the Dark Descent, yep. um, Soma was their sort of underwater horror game from a couple of years back um, in which they took what they did in Amnesia, which is like, hey, you don't have weapons. You're going to run from enemies, and we're going to set you in a hostile environment and kind of play mind tricks on you. And mm-hmm. they made like a much bigger budget version of that. Um, and that game has an incredible story that so many more people – should have experienced and been angry about because yeah. it is such a bummer and leaves you in such a dark, <laughs> so good. terrible place by the end. Um, but the monsters are no fun to to dodge, yeah. to to poke around. Like the trick they set up in Amnesia: of The Dark Descent did not work a second time. Like they did not give the player the kinds of tools you needed to enjoy the hiding, the stealth. Like that that part did not. Um, evolve in the way it needed to. And so I played that game on the strength of its environment, on the strength of its story, on the strength right. of the world building it was doing. And I was dealing with the monsters because they were in my way to get to all that other stuff. There were moments where it worked. There were moments that I enjoyed where it came together. But by and large, I would say like that game's... like one of its main conceits is like dodge the monsters it's like bad. didn't work for it's me so at all yeah. um and the developers have since actually said yeah like maybe we shouldn't have done that a second of time and did they add, do didn't they add a mode or was it a mod there's something that like let you there's a mo- yeah there's yeah. a mode that got rid of that stuff but also developers have since said like we're not going to repeat that trick a third cool. time around which is smart and they yeah. recognized it didn't really work in soma but that's a game that I, I felt like I was fighting to get to the stuff that I really enjoyed and that yeah. I wouldn't blame anyone for not putting up with that because it's a lot to put up with unless there's a mod that sort of fixes it because <laughs> that game told a really interesting story that was wrapped up in some gameplay that just didn't really click. To tie this back to the donkey stuff before, the the last point I'll make there is that he kind of leaves on this notion that is about how games are supposed to be fun. Like and that there is so much focus on in reviews on story and art and animation and music, but fundamentally, is this thing fun to play? And that is the thing that I most hope that 
YouTube that not YouTube that criticism games criticism in general continues to work out of yeah. because the reasons that you liked Soma and played Soma were not it's a fun game to play right. in the moment or or, or rather we've blown or up the, fun, the fun word is a much fun. broader yes, term exactly. than what we that story d- d- normally think of as fun. characters that what we mean is like some we mean enjoyment we mean pleasure and pleasure is incredibly broad so yes. that it can yes. include like thoughtfulness and frustration and sadness can all be enjoyable things even though they're not necessarily what you think of when you hear the word fun. Fun is just like right. such a, a lacking word for what we mean there. Uh, and I, I wish that that's like the one – that was like the one thing that stuck in me. That I was like I actually can't find any defense for that position at this point because so many games are so powerful and good despite not necessarily being fun to play. So that's – It's just, not just a roller coaster. There's a whole lot of other rides that it could be and experience. Do you like have like amusement park rides that are not – well, like what, you can think what of, sort of depressing amusement park rides do you have in mind? You can think of well, all right. Well, if, who if, likes if the rides thinking, where they, you just go in a circle, like the the, the teacup tea ride? Cups. Like that just makes you want to throw up. None of that's fun. <laughs> yeah, none of that's fun. Fuck that ride, actually. But you don't get a broader experience. What about like interactive theater? That's sort of part of theme parks too. You you can appreciate the architecture. You can appreciate yeah, okay. the different aspects. Yeah, it's not just you. being on a roller coaster. Okay. I'm working You're on working. it. Keep I'm working, working on, on that one. Keep all right. On this. All right. Any other answers for games that you pushed through despite not- I mean The Last of Us is like that for me. Yeah, you know, I know you're it's yours but, as well. But, no, but, you're allowed to it's I can, for sure. I, I, I was very frustrated. I want there to be a voice that says I really liked The Last of Us. I, I really liked The Last of Us for what for, I liked yeah, it. Yeah, I liked all parts of The Last of Us. That's yeah. I'm glad for you. I found a lot of the combat frustrating. I'm right there. I like the I actually liked the combat. I actually liked the I liked the physicality of the combat. I liked the stealth. Okay, yeah. Oh, you don't like how the monsters turn around on you? Can you Guess hey, what? Tim, can monsters you hit the button that <laughs> disconnects Rob from the call, actually? That would be good. Um, uh, Oxenfree is mine. For, for, okay, yeah, I actually yeah, think yeah. I didn't like interacting with that game in any way. I didn't like moving through the world. Sure. I think that the, like, the most interesting story stuff is it's collectibles that are spread throughout the world that you've like – walk back through it's like a pain in the ass and i still thought that the high points were enough for me to push through it yeah so this is this is kind of random uh but there's this game called take on helicopters uh made by bohemia interactive the arma the arma 3 studio the arma studio but they made this uh, helicopter sim game called take on helicopters and it's Got a really interesting campaign. <laughs> Basically, it's got you are box. just Sorry, too. a couple blue-collar uh, civilian helicopter. You're from this family of civilian helicopter pilots in the Pacific Northwest. And the business is dying, and you sort of come back from the army as, where, you were, where you were a helicopter pilot to take over the business and to take on helicopters doing their gotcha. various civilian activities. Yeah, of course. It's actually got some interesting things going on in it. It had an interesting glitch that I did not know Sims well enough at the time. Like I thought this was a glitch I thought was normal, and that I was just a really bad pilot. When that game launched, it had really bad ground effect turbulence from your rotor wash. Oh no! As a helicopter gets closer to the ground, <laughs> the the air being disturbed by your rotors is going to disturb the flight characteristics of the helicopter. Right. Okay. Fine. In this game, when it came out. That effect was so amplified that as you tried to land, your helicopter would start rocketing wildly back and forth and would sometimes tip itself onto its side and explode two feet off the ground. And so what I've learned That's you had to do 
Yeah, a big problem. (laughs) And so I was like, oh, I didn't know helicopters worked this way. I guess the thing to do then is to basically hover about 50 feet off the ground and you just cut the engines. Because that's the only safe way to come down. If you're in a nice, like, level, uh, if you're in a yeah. nice level hover, uh, you just come down hard. And so it was great because you'll, <laughs> like <laughs> you'll have these character interactions where you're, like, you know, flying around with your brother or something. You're, like, really working through some family shit. But the characters also react to what's happening in the helicopter. So, like, your brother would be like, yeah, I guess I never really did understand, Dad. Well, we still have a chance to put things right. And that's when I cut the rotors <laughs> and drop like 30 feet. And the thing just hammers the ground. Yeah. The, the uh, wheels like break off. And your brother carries, your brother's just like, holy shit, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, so and that was every mission. Like every mission ended with basically like a controlled crash landing. And I was just like, man, heli- like helicopters are tricky. Helicopters like I just are tricky. Uh, guess this is how they work. Huh. I'm just very upset. That I I just did a search for take on helicopters take on me. There's oh. no take on helicopters take on me music video out there. Fan- oh, the, fans. And rock paper shotgun Let's for sure. That. Did that. Okay, yeah. thank you, rock paper shotgun for for lifting the heavy rocks for lifting the helicopter for, and then dropping it on the ground. And then dropping it. You can find everything we do here at waypoint.vice.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash waypoint, facebook.com slash waypointvice. Follow all of our videos at youtube.com slash waypointvice. You can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Danielle, what about you? Danielle R.I. Rob Zachney. At Rob Zachney. Patrick Klepik. Still asleep. She got up again hey, for a second. Nice. Still asleep. Nice. Good job, Jessica. And she's just trying to lull Rob Get those into teeth. a, a false sense of security. She really do. Exactly. Uh, yeah, you can find me at Patrick Klepik. Shout out to Tim Barnes, who's... What? What? Rob? Nothing. Just Nick, if you're still watching this, sounds like a good plan. We'll do it tonight. Okay, so was that a message to this actually Nick? Podcast. Or was that a message to a third party who Rob is trying to trick into thinking now he's working with Code Nick? Codename Nick. Codename Nick. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe Nick stands for something. N.I.C.K. Night Intra Cooperation Councilman. Oh, shit. It's Cameron. Cameron's actually <laughs> the one that he's actually allying with. Oh, my God. Shout out to Tim Barnes, who's editing the podcast. Find Tim on Twitter at uh, Tim Barnes 451 uh, shout out to Natalie, who is is running our, our boards on Twitch. You can find Bowen, who gives us the song Miss You as our as our theme song off the EP Pale Machine at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. That's going to do it for us. We'll be back on tomorrow morning for more Breakfast and Battlegrounds Wednesday, probably for another permadeath. Yeah. And then Friday for more Waypoint Radio. Until then, what is it we say to them, Danielle? Be good or be good at it. Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.